You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Well, look what we have here. Episode 109 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. And tonight we are talking about many, many different things. You thought it was just one thing, but it's actually several more. We have real talk with <laughs> I'm stupid. <laughs> real talk with the Pimp Crowd. And uh just James and I discuss something or other. Oh, it's uh yeah. It's being rich. Yeah, it would suck. You think being rich would be awesome? Being rich is actually some sort of like weird purgatory prison you go into. And I'm not even joking. Like if you listen to stories about rich people, super super rich people, their life is kind of shitty. It's it's a very strange thing. No wonder they're all on drugs. So we also have a test rack mailbox from my buddy, and I'm going to call it Mike because I'm not going to reveal his real name until the uh, the actual segment. But we're going to just call him Mike from now. But uh, Mike from Poland writes in, and he wants to know about solo wargaming, and also he wants to thank me for getting him into the hobby, which I'm actually pretty excited about. So um, what else do we have? We have... so. GW started making these, like, Tic Tac candies. I don't know. They're calling them Lumineth Realm Lord Dice, which I feel like is strange branding. But uh, we're going to get into that, whether or not, you know, what they taste like and caloric intake and whatnot. So, so as you probably know, this episode is brought to you by all of my beautiful, good-smelling, uh, charitable, supportive loving patron patrons on patreon and is also brought to you by the loving good smelling uh well-groomed gamemat.eu and uh, they sell game mats they sell terrain pre-painted and stuff like that you know what if you want to support the show it would be great if you signed up for patreon.com slash pimpcron or if you checked out GameMat.eu and threw some shekels their way, because I am not uh, bullshitting you at all when I say I love their products. So that is um, that is what this episode is about. So what have I been up to this week? Well, I got a game. Uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a sad story. I'm gonna tell you a real sad story. A very sad first world story. I am, I basically run our game club, blah, blah, blah. We got a new player come in and he was extremely late. He was like a half hour after our games even started. And I was supposed to uh, team up against some guys with Just James. So Just James and I were excited because there's like any given week, there's like eight to 12 people in our club. And Just James and I don't ever play with or against each other. Because he lives pretty close to my house, and we can just play at my house whenever we feel like it. So we usually don't play each other, because why do we drive a half hour to do that, right? But we were very excited, because usually we don't get to play with each other either. We don't get to team up with each other. So it just so happened that he was bringing Demons of Slanesh, and my Chaos Space Marines are Emperor's Children anyway... So we decided, you know what, that'd be really cool to team up. Well, long story short, we deploy all of our models and all that, and then the new guy shows up, and he's like, oh, uh, I was hoping for a second demo. And I was like, Because <laughs> I told him, look, I mean, you're we, we start at 6, you're getting here at 6.30 or 6.40, we're going to start without you. Because so, we've got a short window, and it's on a work night, so whatever. But uh, unfortunately, um, I felt bad at that point. So um, now try not to cry while I'm telling you this terrible story. But I ended up having to break off my game with just James and we we, you know, embraced and it was tearful and whatever. So just James ended up playing against the other guys by himself and the other guys were uh, orcs and space wolves. And uh, he had to field the whole side by himself, unfortunately. So I ended up playing against Necrons with the new guy, and he seemed to really enjoy his demo, so that was good. It was his second demo. But I did not get to team up with Just James, so that was really sad. So he did not get to team up with me, so he you know, was kind of bummed out, and I ended up having to do a demo, which I was kind of bummed out, because even though I usually like doing demos... Unfortunately, I was super psyched to play with James, and then I had to do a demo for the sake of the community, people. The sake of the community. 
So, um, we had a little bit extra time and uh, this week after the gaming night, and I invited Just James over, and I said, hey, Just James, you know that uh, Epic War Planner... Man, damn, this is the second time I mentioned Epic War Planner in this... Well, actually, it's the first time, but I'll mention it again later. And uh, I feel bad. I'm, I'm not trying to just sell it, but hey, guess what? Go buy that shit. Anyway, the Epic War Planner that I published almost a year ago... Uh, it has solo rules, solo campaign, all of that. So we are gonna, we have started doing that. It's just for Patreon patrons, and they are what I call lightning battle reports, and they are about 12, 15 minutes, something like that. It gives you blow by blow, tells you the story, whatever. And uh, basically, the story is I am a bunch of feral orcs, and he is a regular orc, and we're trying to make a name for ourselves. We discover a tank commander. Uh, and his retinue are protecting some uh, explosives and missiles and whatnot. So we run over there and try to punch him in the nuts and take it. And uh, you'll have to watch the battle report to see how we fare for that. But uh, we will be recording the second one this week. So I'm thinking about publishing one every week. You got to go on Patreon and support the show in order to get that. So we ended up playing that game, and it was super fun. It was really fun for both of us to be able to team up against an AI opponent, and we solo gamed that, so that was really fun. And uh, what else? You know, we've got some big news in the brutality uh, circles, and we have been reviewed by Tabletop Skirmish... I mean, sorry, uh, Skirmish Wargaming on YouTube is a channel, and they reviewed us back in, I think, July... And then we had Gorilla Miniatures just reviewed us and uh, did a Codex review, essentially. And uh, that brought in, both of them have brought in a ton of people, but the Gorilla Miniatures apparently has a big following because our Facebook group has added a good five or six hundred people in the last week. And it hasn't even been a full week yet. So that is amazing. And, um, you know, a lot of people are trying out the game and we've got a good conversation going on at Facebook. So... Uh, I'm extremely excited about that because all I've ever wanted is people to play my game. So now that it's in full color, 102 page hardback and PDF version, as well as the free rules, which are about half the size of that. It's about 50 pages of free rules and some fluff and whatnot. Um, it's half the missions, half the unit upgrades and all that, but it's free on the Facebook group. That is facebook.com slash brutality skirmish war game. And I guess I will stop being a corporate shill and stop promoting my own stuff, but damn it, I have so much love to give. You understand? Anyway, thank you for my Patreon sponsors, and thank you for GameMat.eu. Go check them out. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. On this segment of Real Talk with the Pimpcron, for this episode, we have a letter from a friend of the show, I'll just call him Mike. He's from Poland, and this is what he has to say. Hi, Pimpcron, you son of a bitch. Last year, I've decided to give this wargaming thing a go. I decided to do only serious historical gaming. I am an adult. No time for those childish schmorks and schmelves and dwarves and schwarves and dwarves. Anyway, you know what I mean. I have started to listen to hobby podcasts for motivation. There aren't many about historical podcasts, so I've came across yours. After a few episodes and a few weeks, I thought, this Warhammer sounds kind of cool. And after a year, here I am in 2020, socially distanced in a small Polish town, with a good start for three armies, <laughs> Age of Sigmar Orcs, uh, Stormcast Eternals, and Corn, and a Warcry starter set, and not a single fellow gamer in 40 miles. But... I do not know how to play. I have a book, and I have missed my intro games due to COVID. I give you a chance to redeem yourself, you Slaneshi Temptress podcaster. <laughs> what is your advice to learn the game solo? Regards, and he claims that I'm going to butcher his name, and it is true. I am going to butcher his name. He says just call me Mike, but it is my best guess on how to pronounce this would be Either Mitchell or Michal, it's M-I-C-H-A-L. So my stupid American brain doesn't know how you pronounce this. So either Mitchell, like Mitchell, or it could be Michal, I guess. 
I think I've heard of a guy named Michel. Or Michael, M-I-C-H-A-L. I see that could be the translation for that. So I ended up emailing him, and I said, you definitely have to tell me how to pronounce your name now, because you can't just, you can't just leave me hanging like that. And I honestly, at this juncture, this was a week or two ago, I do not remember how he says he's, his name. So that was authentic just then, me trying to pronounce his name. Now, let's see what he says. It is really tempting to hear your interpretation, but since you asked so kindly, I will try to help you. Say me and how as one hurt word. Mihal? It should sound close enough. Mihal. Mihal? Your podcast is awesome and I really like it. I hope you continue doing it as long as possible and enjoyable for you. Cheers, Mike. Otherwise known as Mihal. I guess Mihal. It must sound weird because I feel like Americans always have that accent where everything is flat and blah. And we just, I mean, not that we all have like a southern twang or anything like that, but it's funny. There's so much more. I guess you would say um, there's so much more character or maybe nuance. I think the word would be nuance. There's so much more nuance to some other languages. The only real nuance to English is that it is incredibly hard to really decide how things should be spelled if you don't already know how they're spelled. You know, the whole which which is which sort of thing where you're like, I don't know which which you're talking about. <laughs> And uh, we have a lot of words that sound similar and spelled completely different and things like that. Now, I'm sure it's nowhere near as hard as like Japanese or something like that. I know there's a lot of Asian languages that are extremely complicated where the same word can have different meanings if you say it in different ways or the inflections in the beginning or the inflections at the end or whatever. So it's always interesting to me to attempt, at least, to read these names out loud. But I appreciate... Uh, Mihao, that you at least gave me a phonetic way to spell that. That all aside, let's talk about solo gaming. Okay, so you say that you don't really know how to play, and that puzzles me just a little bit. If you're saying that you truly don't know how the game mechanics work, then I would say, for the most part, you can use a starter set, which is, I mean, if you've got Stormcast Eternals and Corn for Age of Sigmar, it sounds like you may have gotten a starter set in the past at some point. And you can even get the cheapest of starter sets for Age of Sigmar, and they will have the basics and how to move, you know, the hero phase and the combat phase and all of that. Of course, YouTube is also your friend. If you have no friends in your normal area or your local area, whatever, that play the game, you definitely can find things on YouTube. And uh, I don't know how much... I mean, your, your message sounded just fine, so... It doesn't sound like English is too much of a barrier, language barrier for you. So it seems to me like uh, YouTube would definitely be your friend if you don't know the core mechanics. Having said that, let's just assume you do know the core mechanics and you do pretty much know how to play the game. Well, if that is the case, and I feel like Age of Sigmar is a little simpler in its mechanics than Warhammer 40k, uh, because there's not like a million stratagems to choose from and, and things like that. I think it's a little easier. And that doesn't mean Age of Sigmar is a worse game in any way. Matter of fact, lately I've found myself enjoying Age of Sigmar more than 40k. But that's probably just a phase, like my goth phase and my lesbian phase and all of that. And You know, it's, it's probably just a phase. So you really can't solo game if you don't already know the mechanics of the game. That's just, you know, the, the deal, unfortunately. But if you do know the mechanics of the game, then the simplest and easiest way to solo game would be that you make two lists and you don't cater to one of them, you don't make one of them clearly better than the other one, and then you just play both sides. It sounds way like an oversimplification, but it really isn't. You play both sides, so my favorite thing to do, actually, besides cooperative gaming, would be solo gaming, and then playing against another player would probably be my third thing. Because solo gaming allows you to do a lot of things. You get to play on your own schedule. You get to make up any narrative rules you want. You can tweak things. You know, if one army is just getting completely toasted, then you can tweak things to kind of level the playing field a little bit. And you can really tell your own story, which I enjoy. 
the problem that you have with other people getting involved is that, you know, you've got schedule conflicts and a myriad of other issues. You know, like they, one person might be super casual, another person might be a power gamer. There's a million different issues when you bring other people into it. But ultimately, this is a very social game, and I definitely think you should play with other people. Having said that, like I said, I love solo gaming, and that is where I actually started out in this hobby, with solo gaming, making my own board games, card games, and all that sort of stuff. And I've even solo gamed RPGs and things like that. So the best thing to do is make two different armies, and you set up the mission and all of that, and then you simply, a lot of people don't get this, but you simply stand on you know side A with, with team A. You stand on that side and you play their game to the best of your ability. You go, okay, if I was the general of just this army, this is what I would do. Then, you, when you're done that, you go to side B of the table. You physically just walk around the other side of the table. And it's amazing what that does to your brain because it's a completely different perspective when you're seeing the other army on the opposite side of the table. And now all of a sudden you gotta, you know, switch hats and believe it or not, I actually read one time, and I don't know if this was a joke or not, but a solo gamer said he would actually wear different hats, and the different feel of the hat would give him a different feeling when he would play a certain army versus another army. So when you're side A, you wear side A hat, it, f it feel fits a certain way. Then you're on side B, you wear side B hat, it fits a certain way. I don't know if that was just a joke, but that was in an article I, I read many years ago. But it's an idea anyway. So you are literally playing both sides to the best of your ability, and you're not actually trying to win, because you're playing both sides, you win either way, right? What you're trying to do is tell an immersive story and enjoy yourself, and I mean, there's few things, in my opinion, there's few things in life that I enjoy more than grabbing my preferred drink, which, um, don't know if it makes me sound like a hipster or not, but I really like kombucha, the fermented tea. And uh, grab a kombucha or grab a cup of coffee. Those are my two go-to things. And I go into my gaming room and I solo game and chill out and spend some quality time with just me, myself, and I. Another way that you can solo game. That is the most basic way to solo game. Another way that you can solo game, and this is not just a, a, me trying to sell something, but legitimately I have rules for playing miniature war games in the Epic War Planner. Um, you can buy it on Amazon. You search Epic War Planner Volume 1 and it will come up. Uh, the search function on Amazon is kind of weird, so you got to basically type that exact phrase or it won't show up. But it is, um, it, it has a lot of different resources for narrative games. There's um, different realm effects when you get further into the game and Blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm legitimately not trying to sell you something, but this is just coming up here. And um, there is also logic trees for your AI. So if you want to play a slightly more competitive style, my book has generic traits um, like, you know, the army will be more conservative here and this type of unit will do this and this type of unit will do that. And you roll on a 2d6 chart every turn and it determines how they're going to play. There's another way that I think is really cool, and this is slightly outside the realm of a quote-unquote normal game, but it is very, very fun, and it is scenario mode. So the scenario mode, you roll randomly for the deployment for each mission, you roll randomly for the units your enemy is going to use, you roll randomly for where there's objectives or whatever, and then when the enemies do come in, you roll randomly for it all. So you don't know exactly where the enemy is going to come in. You don't know exactly how many enemies. You don't know if they're going to be in front of you or behind you or whatever. And it is a lot of fun. So there's like, to set up the game, I think there's about five different tables to roll on. And that's basically how it works. So there's, um what, 5d6 versions of it. Um, so what, six times, so I think that would be 30 combinations, but actually I think that's more than 30 combinations, but you get the point. So that is going to be helpful to somebody that wants the solo game, but there's some caveats to that. If you don't already know the core rules, then that book will not help you at all, and neither will solo gaming. If you do know the core rules, but you really don't wrap your head around solo gaming the basic way, then it's much harder to wrap your head around 
the slightly more interesting way that I have in the book. So it's entirely up to you. But it is it can be extremely rewarding. Now, you know, uh, Michal, I got to tell you, solo gaming is not for everybody. So some people try it and try it and try it, and they just don't like it. There are a couple things you can do, though. Now, this is not using your miniatures, unfortunately, but if you have Tabletop Simulator, until GW does the old cease and desist on Tabletop Simulator, there's basically every model for every army ever made, and you can find those repositories online, download those models, and you can play online with somebody else, whether it be a friend or a stranger, whatever. I'm sure you can definitely find an opponent. So, I would boil solo gaming down to a few core principles, and then I swear to God I will shut up about this because I start getting very talky, and I really enjoy this topic. So, number one, make sure that you are impartial in making your lists. If you're going to be partial, and you're going to pick one side and quote-unquote try to beat the other side, that's all fine and well, but you got to realize you're going to be biased against the other side. So what you need to do is increase the other side's points by 10, 20, 25%. So if you, the team that you're rooting for is 1,000 points, then the enemy team needs to be 1,250. And then that, you know, makes a whole lot more sense, and you're going to already have to have an uphill battle. Uh, having said that, also, you have to do whatever's best in the best interest for the enemy. So you cannot just make stupid decisions for the enemy. You can't just be like, la-di-da-di-da, and, and kill the enemy. You're going to find, in the end, that might sound that might feel good for like a minute, but what ultimately you're going to find is it's an extremely shallow victory. If you are playing the enemy and you beat the enemy, at the end of it you're like, oh, well, I just rigged the system. And that is a shallow victory. So... I've given you some options. I've explained solo gaming, basically how to do it. And, um, you know, there's always my book if you get that far. And if you don't know the core mechanics, go on YouTube. And that is basically how to solo game uh, Warhammer. So I hope I did redeem myself as a Slaneshi uh, temptress <laughs> podcaster. And uh, I greatly appreciate you uh, writing in, uh, Mihal, and make sure that you write in whenever you feel like it at pimpcron at gmail.com or facebook.com slash pimpcron. Let's get on to the very next segment so that you don't have to listen to me talk about this anymore. Want that or want that not? Hey, uh, this is Want That or Want That Not, and this is the Pimpcron, and I just saw something that's really peculiar. So... I went on GW's website, and I saw something, it was a link for a Lumineth Realm Lords dice set, and I'm like, oh, cool, I can't wait to see if they mess this up or not. So I click on the link, and it says, Lumineth Realm Lords dice set. But the weird thing is, is like, I don't see any dice on this page. Like, I've, I'm scrolling around, and they've got like these little tattooed Tic Tacs, and I mean, I guess it's a candy... Or something, but I I have a problem. Games Workshop should not be labeling candy as a dice set or a dice set as candy. So if this really is candy, people are going to be trying to roll dice with these things. These little, they're like these little tubular barrel things, and they've got like these little tattoos all over them. And uh, I just don't think that's a very smart idea. If it's going to be candy, then you should label it candy. It's not. I mean, because I'll be giving these out to children for Halloween coming up here soon, and I don't think that's incredibly smart that I'm like, oh, here's your dice, and the children will be like, what? What dice are you... Oh, you know what? Oh, these are dice. Oh. Oh, I see now. Oh, okay. So, these are dice. Hmm. I don't know what to think about this. Okay, I knew they were dice, but the point is, uh, man, this is such a bold move, isn't it? Games Workshop, sometimes they, you know, put out the same old Primaris Lieutenant over and over and over again, and then sometimes, I don't know if it's like one person on their creative team, or if it's like, sometimes they just have a freak out moment, 
but they'll be like, you know what? Nah, we're going to have giant bulls as mountain creatures, and we're going to have horns on literally freaking everything. And that techless dude, yeah, his, uh, his flying tiger pony's got a woman's face. <laughs> we're just going to go all out on this. Uh, the Lumineth Realm Lord's dice set is 20d6, and I'm using air quotes, which you can't hear. Lumineth dice are 20, quote-unquote, d6 dice. Well, I gotta tell you, that is a bald-faced lie, because... Bald-faced lie. Bald-faced. Bald. I don't know. Bald-faced lie, I'll say. It's a bald-faced lie. It just sounds weird in my head now. Bald-faced lie, because they are actually eight-sided they are not. They're octahedral, okay? They are not um, whatever the sixth one is. And uh, so essentially what they are, they're a long, like you grabbed a D6 dice, and then you pulled it long ways and shaped it like a tic-tac. And it's got an end on each side and six sides around. And I am truly on the fence about whether or not I like these. They are incredibly, incredibly daring, GW. I gotta give you credit, for real. This dice set is almost unlike any dice I've ever seen in my life, because I do believe JD from Phoenix, our local store, I think he did actually have a set of D&D dice that were like this, that were like D6s or whatever, and they were the barrel dice. But for Games Workshop to come out with a full set for an army of barrel dice is pretty darn daring, and I gotta give them credit for it. Just like with a lot of the Lumina Throne Lore stuff, they are doing, I think I slurred that word, but they are doing some really, really daring stuff, and I gotta give them credit for it. I don't hate these dice. I can't begin to say I hate these dice. Matter of fact, the more I look at these dice, the more I like these dice. <laughs> so it is a pretty insane price. I mean, if we're being honest here, $35 for just 20 dice. But ultimately, I mean, like, it's it's like you're watching a kid, right? And this kid's on a bicycle. And he makes this really, really shoddy ramp. And you know whether or not you like what you're going to see, whether he lands it and he aces the jump or he crashes horribly. Either way, you got to give him credit for trying. And whether or not you like this dice or you don't, you gotta give GW credit for doing something daring and interesting. And to my knowledge, this is the only set of dice they've ever done that was not a traditional square D6. And I think my vote is, I want that. Believe it or not, I actually do want these. I have some reservations about the dice themselves, but they seem fun to do. They seem fun to roll. And 35 bucks is a bit pricey for me, honestly. But I feel like that might be in line with basically all the dice sets. I think they're all 35. And uh, I could see how the pips and everything might be hard to read on these. And I have one other reservation that I'm not sure everybody is thinking about currently. But, you know, you, you can roll a cube dice in any direction. You just roll it and it bounces all around. These things are oblong. They essentially want to be rolled long ways. All right, maybe I should say short ways. They want to be rolled like a barrel. Barrels don't roll end over end, and that's what these dice don't do either appropriately. So I'm curious how this would actually affect your probability of your rolls, because if you just grab a handful of these dice and you just chuck them on the table and you don't properly roll them. Have you ever seen them unload like a uh, like a ship with barrels in like a medieval or like a uh, renaissance movie where they've got the ramp and they're at the dock and they roll the barrels down? These dice are going to be want to be rolled down the ramp, down your hand. They're not going to be wanting to tumble end over end because you're really, let's say, okay, just this is hypothetical, right? You roll it like a barrel. Oh, that number could be anything. Okay, you roll it end over end. If it starts on a three, flips over once, that would be a four, and then hits the ground and might flip one more time, it's back to a three. You really didn't get any sort of range or any sort of probability chance on that. So, if anything, this will change how you roll dice, because you're going to end up flattening your hand and rolling them off like you're unloading a ship with barrels. I don't know why this segment was full of so many metaphors, but you get the point. And I'm interested in 
I'm interested to see exactly what that would do to your probability. I am positive uh, Beastman is going to be buying some of these dice because he is all about the Lumineth Realm, Realm Lords. And uh, Just James has a little bit of it. I don't own any. But uh, I know he said as soon as he saw those dice, he's like, I have to have those dice. And dude, like them or not, extremely daring. So even if I didn't like these dice, I think I'd have to give it a want that because good job, GW. You Sometimes you really surprise me. You can be creative. That's a want that for me, dogs. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. Hey, it's Real Talk with the Pimp Crown, and today I am joined by my friend Just James. How's it going, Mr. James? Don't ask. Oh, okay. Today we are talking about, um, what is it that we're talking about? Oh, that if you had a lot of money, this hobby might suck. And that sounds weird, because this is an expensive hobby to begin with, and you feel like, oh, the more money I have, then the more cool and fun it would be, and I could have all the armies and all the units and all that. But if you really think about it, that may not be the case. So just James, if you suddenly won the lottery and you had all the money and all the time in the world, you literally, let's say you won a bajillion, bajillion, trillion, gazillion dollars. Okay. I don't know how many zeros that is, but the point is, how would that affect your current hobby? Like, what would you do differently? How would that affect your armies and all that? Uh, So I would get every single model. Every single game, every single piece of terrain, I'll have lots of tables, mm-hmm. and I will have lots of tables, <laughs> lots of scenery, lots lots of models. Okay. Uh, every day would be Apocalypse Day. <laughs> uh, you could and even... then I'll die. Yeah, well, you might. Uh, you, well, you... I mean, well, our, well, everybody dies. Then you could hire people to move your models too. You could be like a real general. You know when they've got the like the um shuffleboard sticks and they move the units yes, and all. Yes, I was I was like that. Yeah. I feel like in movies that's weirdly represented though because they're always pushing away from them, but they're never like turning or they're never pulling back or yeah. they It's it's only like push forward and that's it. Um but how would you like to have like you'd have to put all your stuff on on uh trays and shove it with that stick that would be awkward but uh so you say that you want a bunch of tables to play on and you'd buy a bunch of tables um where would you put all these tables um i would put them in a room what kind of room just james a big room okay where would you get a big room a big room enough big enough for all these tables uh i could have someone build it yeah because i have lots of money I can do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> yeah. Like buy a whole warehouse, just several warehouse, every single warehouse in the world. <laughs> I have all the money. I have all the money. I can do whatever the fuck I want. I'll buy every single warehouse in the whole world. I'll buy. I'll buy all the models. Every single army. Oh, you want to play? Not too bad. Those models are mine. Can't use them. I have every uh, dollar bill, every single cent in the world. Every model's mine. Every army's mine. Fuck you. I don't want to play with you. <laughs> then you become a Satan, basically. I become a Satan, yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so I have so much stuff. I'm just going to throw it, start throwing it at people. <laughs> Seriously. And they could sue you and you wouldn't give a shit. You're yeah, like, fuck it. Oh, well, pull that plague bear out of your eye and sue me. I don't care. I'll <laughs> buy my own prison and send myself to that prison. <laughs> For for slamming somebody in the face with a uh, Mahler fiend or whatever. Yeah. Um. So, like, if you legitimately, I often wondered, like, why don't celebrities? You hear about like Robin Williams playing Warhammer. You hear about um supposedly Henry Cavill at least painting miniatures. I don't know if he actually plays, but you hear about these celebrities who supposedly have a lot of money playing this game. And I always think like I, I hear that Robin Williams had Eldar, and I'm thinking. Why didn't he just have every freaking army? Like, why just Eldar? Clearly, I'm certain there's another army that would interest him. At least one other army. So why would he just have Eldar? But, I mean, ultimately, it seems like if you've got all the money and you've got a ton of money and money's not an issue, 
then like my first impulse would be that I just go to the, the store or GW or whatever and I just go, okay, I'm gonna, I want two of every single unit, period. I just want two of every single unit GW makes. And because I rarely take three of a unit. And then would you still assemble your models? No. I get somebody to do it for me. Do you enjoy assembling models? It's I I, I do like it, yeah. Uh it's it's the least favorite of mine, I think. I mean it's not you know, I don't bust a nut when I do it, but <laughs> uh it's still kind of fun. So why would you hire someone to do it then? Because I have all the money in the world. Why not? I guess that's true. So th- this is kind of raising other questions about our hobby. Do we do some of this stuff just because we have to? And we don't really enjoy it as much as we think? Yeah. I guess. Yeah, I think everybody... I think... Not everybody. But I would say a lot of people would love to just hand it off someone else. I mean, it's less that they're like someone that converts stuff, that loves converting stuff and coming up with their own idea. Mm-hmm. But most people who would just use the models that they're given uh, would um, hand it off to someone else. I, I guess that's true. I would definitely hire somebody to assemble my models, for sure. Because I, I don't really like assembly that much. I mean, I, I rarely kitbash anything, so assembly between playing... Painting and assembly. Assembly is my very least favorite thing. That's a serious chore for me personally. Um, the problem is, would you hire someone to paint all your models too? Yeah. See, I probably would too, now that we're on the topic, but I feel like it would really hurt your connection with your army if you don't assemble it, you don't paint it. It's essentially you just bought it already finished. Like, it, it's... What fun is that? You don't have any atten- uh, attract attraction, any connection to it. And then now, to me, it would be like, you come up to me and I already paid for someone to assemble and paint this whole army. And you're like, hey, Scott, I'll I'll go buy this whole army off you. And I would go, Psh, sure, whatever. And I'd sell the army because I didn't put any time into it. I didn't put any effort into it. It's essentially I just bought it completely finished it wouldn't have any value to me. Like, in, in the past, I've bought entire armies, you know, already painted or whatever, and I have no problem selling it, because it's just, somebody's like, oh, I want that, and you're like, ah, oh, fuck it, whatever, I'll sell it. Because I didn't put any of my sweat, none of my time, none of that into it. Don't you feel like it would it would mean less to you if you don't do any of that stuff? Um, yes. Part of the reason why I don't just own all the models to every army right now is because I don't have enough money. Like, for 99% of every Warhammer player, money is the limiting factor because you've got bills and other responsibilities. Right. You don't just have the infinite money to buy what you want. Yeah. So, to me, it is more enjoyable to slowly grow an army and get one unit here, one unit there, take the time to assemble it, take the time to paint it. But I feel like the laziness would be too much to ignore if you had the money. You'd just be like, oh, pay someone to assemble and paint it. And it's just, it just doesn't seem like it's very fun. It doesn't seem like you have any connection to it. It doesn't seem like any of the hobby fun is there. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I often said about Warhammer, and this might also be true for you, is that when it comes to, like, video games... I, when I used to play video games more, I would play a video game like non-freaking-stop. I'd play it for hours, I'd play it for days, I'd play it for whatever, but then I would get burned out, because I I only have like a limited amount of interest in something, and I would rarely finish a video game. Like, I'd I'd play it three quarters through, something like that, and then I'd just kind of lose interest, and I'd move on. And, because the completion, I'm not really like you, with the completion, you know, you like to get the 100% completed for all the whatevers. Yeah. And, um, but for Warhammer, the problem with the video game is that assuming everything else is fine in your life, like you don't have other responsibilities, um, think about like when you were a kid, you could just play video games whenever you want. So it's kind of like eating as much as you want or whatever. Like you, you end up getting, at least I do, I get kind of sick of it. If I play something or do something a lot. Uh Uh-huh. Then I get kind of sick of doing it. Like, if I ate a whole freaking cheesecake, I probably wouldn't want to eat cheesecake anymore. So... At least not for a while. <laughs> not for a while. 
So it's kind of that way with Warhammer. I get really excited for Warhammer, and instead of being able to, like, just binge on playing Warhammer, you can't. It's always this delayed gratification. You gotta get someone else to play with. You gotta wait till the next day of your club that you can meet and play with somebody, or, or whatever. And then in the meantime, you get these little doses of dopamine as you assemble stuff, as you paint stuff, as you think about playing. You're not actually playing, but you think about, oh, I'm gonna play. Or whatever. Like, every single week, I look forward to our game night. Every single week. And I'm like, oh, oh shit, it's Monday. Night after next, I get to play Warhammer. Yeah, yeah, I do that too. So, so that's, you know, it's, it's one of those things. But if you could just play all the Warhammer all the time, like a video game, it would get old because it's, you don't have that delayed gratification. Um, so I feel like in a lot of ways, being rich would really suck. Because if the models are assembled by someone else, they're painted by someone else, and you can play it until you have your fill and then, like, get full of it, then it's it's kind of like, what's the point? What's the point of... I would probably get sick of it because I invested nothing into it and I could play it whenever I want. I would play it a ton the first week or month or whatever if I was rich. And then I, I might burn myself out of it and not play again. Do you feel like you would do that? Like, if you could actually play that frequently, you would just kind of get burned out? Yeah, probably. So, I guess this is not really a rich person's hobby, because... No, so get the fuck out. <laughs> it's, it's kind of good that it delays the gratification, because if you could just do all the things and have all the things immediately... What fun is that? Like, I feel like as a, as a species, we're geared towards you have to try, you have to struggle, and the, you know, the, the, the bitter makes the sweet sweeter sort of thing. I, I remember there's some sort of philosophical thing uh, where, you know, if you taste sour, sweeter is sweeter sort of thing. So. It's a bittersweet, uh, Tiffany. <laughs> That's life. Yes, that is. Thank you. What, who who was that? Uh, the ver- Verve? Oh. I remember the song. But anyway, uh, so do you think after six months of having all the money, what would you still be in the hobby at all? Uh, no. I would, th- I would uh, buy the hobby and sell it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know the, the, some of the cool, okay, so we've talked about some negative things about this, right? But what are some of the cool things? Like you were saying that have a whole warehouse with all the tables, all the terrain, like. Yeah. Um, one thing I would really like in this game is having scenic terrain. Uh, and more than just, uh, a building, buildings and stuff like that, but like having like a tower that you can climb up on. Mm hmm. Or rocks floating or stuff like that. You see uh, some cool tables uh, on YouTube. Uh, like Mini Wargaming, they have some cool tables on there. Yeah, they, they pay a lot of money for that. They have um, green, green leaf. Green leaf terrain, yeah. Yeah. And uh, they make all that commission stuff. Yeah, that would be cool. One thing that I would also... Okay, so this is a double-edged sword with the whole terrain thing. Because... One thing that would be really cool is to have permanent terrain, like have an actual board that is permanent. And I see people make these boards, yeah, but it's not really feasible. I would get sick of playing on the same board over and over and over and over if it's not modular. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we use like a gaming mat and then you've got all this modular terrain where you can keep changing it up, but it still doesn't look quite as cool as those people that make like a full freaking cityscape. Like I've seen, um, I forget what book it was, but, um, I think it was like one of the old rule books or something for Warhammer 40 K. It might've been city fight where they show you that they made a six by four table and all the buildings are like glued to the table. And there's like rubble running up the side of the building where like half the building collapsed. And oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. They've got like a canal where they poured the resin and it's all like this, you know, there's like bridges across this big canal. And uh-huh. it's just, it's so neat when it's not all modular. 
But unfortunately for us normal people that don't have a million dollars to spend on a warehouse, like you said, or all these different tables, you really can't. I mean, you might have one permanent table, but in my opinion, that would get kind of boring after a while. Have you ever seen those really cool D&D tables? No. It really? Are you joking? Or are you being serious? Cool D&D? Like the, the guy, I know there's at least one guy, there might be more than one guy. That has, the one guy I remember hearing about has like, has been with the same group, D&D, for 20 years or whatever. And he... Oh, I, I remember seeing a video. Yeah. He made this whole modular buildings and all that, I think. Yeah, but it's, it seemed like it was fairly permanent. I don't know if it was modular or not, but it was like city goes into like rural, goes into like wilderness. Yeah, yeah. And I then he had same thing. Did you see it where it was like the dock and the waters and there were ships at the dock? Uh, yeah, yeah. I might be confusing two of the two different ones, but you've seen that sort of stuff before. Yeah. If you could have like what if you did freaking I guess 12 feet long or something. I mean, it couldn't be infinitely long because you'd have to, you couldn't get around to the other side of the table. (laughs) But if you had like a 12 foot long board and you could just do that and leave it up and, you know, all of it would be like resin water and and permanent stuff, it would be really, really cool. And like you said, you could just hire people to make this board for you. Yeah. So that would be pretty cool. Um, Looking at your uh, pieces of lava river. Actually, having a not lava, but like a stream of rib, uh, uh, stream of lava flowing down and it being all lit up. Oh yeah, that, that would be, be pretty cool. That, having a, a volcano, that would be pretty cool. Um, you know something else you could do too. Oh man, you just gave me an idea. What if this would be pretty freaking cool, James? Okay, what if you bought like a fifty-inch TV? And you put it under the table, uh-huh. and then you pick pick like a a screensaver or something of lava, and then you build the board over the screen, obviously. But then there's sections that look like river, like lava or whatever, and you could actually make you set it on your computer, hook it up to your computer, and set the screensaver to like this weird blah 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 lava sort of screensaver. Then, when you look at the board, the board is literally lighting up through the cracks in the ground. Yeah. Because the TV's below it. Yep. And then when you look at it, it actually looks like it's moving and morphing and, oh my gosh, that'd be cool. That that makes me want to do it. <laughs> do it. I, mean, I mean, that would be really, really cool. That's almost like something we could do for a Shorehammer narrative or something one year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be pretty neat. And then it gets bumped into and knocked over and smashed. Well, I mean, with all these flat screen TVs now, right? You could, you could, you could build like a two by four frame and fit the flat, the giant flat screen TV in the frame and then put plexiglass over it and then build a whole board over it with, with all these rivers and stuff. Dude, that would be freaking awesome. Wouldn't it? Yeah. And then you could even do, if you felt like it, you could do like, um, it doesn't have to always be lava. You could make water, you know, make it look like a river or a river. It could be blood, blood. Oh my gosh. Acid. And have it actually moving is what would be really cool to me. Yeah. Actually, what you could do is if you have the money, get someone to animate it, get, uh, like you could just draw sections on the, the screen, mm-hmm. have it covered up to where, which it matches your, terrain perfectly mm-hmm. and just have someone animate it flowing the way you want it to flow dude that would be so neat that'd be really cool that actually kind of brings me up um brings up the idea of have you seen those um oh man what are they they had like the marvel figures they were kind of like amiibos maybe they were amiibos but they were like the figures on the platform disney infinity yes and did you see, like, on the, the iPad or whatever, there was, like, a, I'll say, a Heraclix board, and you could move the miniatures or whatever? Well, uh, maybe that wasn't quite it, but... No. But they've got D&D ones, where there's a TV in the table, and the grid is up. You put it up with the computer, uh. and then you can change the screens, and then you're like, oh, I, then you um just scroll to, like, the next picture when you go through a room... Or you can even reveal different parts of the room as they explore it. Like, that's... Nice. That is pretty freaking awesome. 
Uh, maybe that's like the the future of, of wargaming and things like that, is having an actual table TV screen and, you know? But once future. <laughs> but that's a lot of money, though. That sort of thing is like, that would be something somebody that is pretty well off would have to put together. Yes. But you've... This has really given me a good idea, though, about potentially a, a Shorehammer thing in the future. Get... You're welcome! <laughs> Um, it would just look awesome. So anyway, I don't think that, um, I, I don't think the pros outweigh the cons. I think that if you were rich, it, it kind of like, I've heard before rich people, the reason why they have entourages and all that seems like such a douchey thing to do, but they have to pay people like, okay, I read this is, I've heard this several times, but I actually heard this. The one I'm talking about right now is about Notch. Notch that made um, Mojang and, and Minecraft. And he got super, super depressed when he when Minecraft made it big and he's a millionaire and all that. He got super freaking depressed. He was a, you know, fairly young person. I don't, know if, I don't know if he was in his 20s or 30s or whatever. But he he suddenly had all this money and he suddenly didn't have to work. And he got super depressed because all of his friends had lives. They had to go to work. They had to, you know, they were tired. They didn't have time to hang out like he could. And that he went through like a long period of depression. And um, when the thing I was I was reading or listening to, I forget, they're actually talking about how in some of his tweets you could see during that time, like it was super negative. He was really, really just in a dark place. And it's because he was so rich. And it's kind of funny. That's why, you know, um, all the movie stars and whatnot, they have their entourages. They literally pay these people to hang out with them every day because otherwise you'd have no friends to hang out with. Maybe one day a week or something like that, but that applies completely to Warhammer too. You you wouldn't just have people to play with all the time. So maybe, and this is getting kind of in creepy territory, but maybe you could hire like a, a college kid or something to be like your full time Warhammer opponent. <laughs> <laughs> Does that sound as sad as it seems? I can't come over. I gotta go over to this guy's house and play Warhammer again. <laughs> he pays me by the hour to play Warhammer. That is just that's kind of sad. But hey, I mean you could you could pay him thirty bucks an hour to play Warhammer, and I think most people would do it, right? Yep. So anyway, in this exploratory conversation of what would you do if you were super rich, I feel like I I would- want that. <laughs> That's the wrong segment, James. Oh. You're, you're definitely not paying attention. Um, I really feel like it would just ruin the hobby for me, and I probably wouldn't be in it anymore. Give me six months. I have all the armies, all the units. They're all painted, all assembled, blah, blah, blah. Just whatever. Just whatever. Do you feel that way? Yes, I also feel that way. Okay. Thanks for being on. So uh, please, uh, everybody, don't get rich. It's terrible. 